Welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast of Hill Country Bible Church, Georgetown. The podcast bringing you biblical messages that encourage you to put Christ at the center of everyday life. We're here to help you engage in the local church and to invite you into a life that matters through Jesus. If you have any questions about your next step, visit us online at hillcountry.life. And now for today's message. Well, good morning, everybody. So today we're continuing our series called The Best Life Possible. And part of living life to the full is knowing how to respond to whatever life throws at you, especially how to respond well when the going gets tough. And I think we can all agree, things have been pretty challenging over the past five months. And so last week we wrestled with the question, how can we be better coming out of this mess than we were before? And I probed in three different areas, financially, relationally, and personally. Now today, we're gonna go in a little different direction. We're gonna do a deeper dive because simply wanting to be better or intending to be better doesn't guarantee any change. For there to be actual change, you have to engage what I call your superpower. That's right, you have a superpower. It's an innate ability that empowers you to be better for anything that life throws your way. Now we all know that we have no control over what life throws at us, right? I mean, think about it. Six months ago, social distancing was for people like my good friend, Jason Arnold, you know, introverts who have a big space bubble to begin with. Six months ago, kids were throwing toilet paper into trees. Six months ago, if your mama heard you would not be at church for several months, she'd be convinced that you were going to hell, right? I mean, so much has changed. And we didn't choose this pandemic, did we? We didn't choose this parentheses in time. It actually chose us. But, and here's the point, it left us with choices. And this is where your superpower comes in. Your superpower actually empowers you to turn bad things into good things. It empowers you to turn wrong things into right things. And it empowers you to thwart the evil intent of evil people. It has the power to reverse the course of your life. But this superpower, the ability that you have, is easy, easy, easy to miss during times of crisis. And if you lose sight of it, especially in times of adversity, you'll become a victim. But if you engage your superpower, you will be better for it and live the best life possible. And this is true in every single arena of life. So what is this superpower? It's really simple. Your superpower is your ability to respond your respond ability. It's your ability to respond rather than merely react. Your ability to choose a response rather than have it dictated by your circumstances. See, your response does not have to be dictated to you by your circumstances, even though that's what many people believe. We don't have to react the way everyone naturally does. In fact, reacting actually sets us up to become a reflection of the things we despise and of the people that we don't respect. To simply react to circumstances causes us to relinquish our power and ultimately our destiny. But the right response, a thoughtful response, if you're a Christian, a faith-filled response, has the power to redeem pain and suffering. It actually has the power, we're gonna see this in the story today, to reverse the course of a life. 
Your superpower is why you can be better for it, regardless of what it is. Now, I know that's a big promise. And not only is it a big promise, the reason we miss this promise is because there's a little bit of a catch. You ready for this? Here's the reason we miss it. The response that has the potential to reverse the natural course of things isn't natural. The initial response that has the power to turn things around in a family, a life, a nation, it's not the intuitive response. That's why we miss it. That's why we have to talk about this. Because folks, this is the life that you've been invited into, especially if you're a Christian. A life where you choose your response as opposed to simply reacting to the circumstances around you, the way everyone else acts, the way your family reacts, the way you're even expected to react. And think about this. The history of our faith is actually populated by men and women who responded to hardships in the most unexpected, unnatural ways. And at the epicenter of our faith stands a man who surrendered to his enemies, a man who chose not to defend himself at his trial, a man who chose not to save himself. And as a result, he saved others. If you're a believer, he saved you. The point being this, never ever underestimate the power of a measured faith-filled response. Now for the next two weeks, we're gonna talk about a biblical character who modeled this in a remarkable way. And part of what makes this story so remarkable is that he modeled it for over 20 years. And the conclusion of the story illustrates the course reversing power of a measured faith-filled response. Now, as soon as I read the end of the story, because we're gonna begin at the end, as soon as I read the end, some of you are gonna know the entire story. And so I wanna ask you to do me a favor as we jump into this story together. I want you to try mentally and emotionally not to rush to the end of the story because the story of this young man's life intersects with our lives in amazing ways. And the problem with knowing the end of the story is that we kind of extract ourselves from the story and we can miss the point. So here's how this really epic story ends. It ends with the hero of the story making this statement. He says, you intended to harm me. And the you in the story were the power brokers. The odds were in their favor. They held all the cards. The cards were completely stacked against the hero in this story. And they had evil in their hearts. In fact, as we read the story together, some of you will remember that they created circumstances that generally transformed victims into perpetrators. They created a set of circumstances that caused the innocent to take on the characteristics of the guilty. But not this time, okay, not this time. See, the hero says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. And God's intentions in this story became a reality through one young man's unexpected responses to circumstances that we can't even begin to imagine. And no single response made any visible, noticeable, practical difference at the time. But every single one of his responses when taken together were critical to the unfolding story of your faith and my faith. So here's the backstory of one of the greatest stories ever told. About 2000 BC, God wades into the mess of this sinful world by calling out a man named Abram, who we know as Abraham. And he says to Abraham, I want you to leave everything you know because I'm gonna start over. 
and you're going to become the father of many nations. And through one of those nations, I, God, am going to bless the entire world. And if you know the story, eventually Abraham has a son and his name is Isaac. And Isaac has a son and his name is Jacob. And Jacob has 12 sons who would eventually become the 12 tribes of Israel, the nation of Israel. But this entire enterprise would dangle by the thread of a series of responses by one of Jacob's sons, whose name is Joseph. And Joseph was Jacob's favorite son, born to Jacob's favorite wife, just kind of a story in and of itself. But because he was the favorite son, his 10 older brothers didn't like Joseph. They despised him. Part of the reason is this, from time to time, Jacob sort of spoiled Joseph in front of the other brothers. But more importantly, from time to time, Jacob would send Joseph out to check on his brothers to see how they were doing. And from time to time, Joseph would come back with a not so favorable report. And so that sets up this story. And on this particular occasion, Joseph is approaching his brothers and they're miles from home. They're tending sheep. And as they see him coming, they begin to talk about Joseph. And by the time Joseph gets to their campsite, they've decided they're done with him. They've had it. And so they take Joseph, strip him of his clothes, and throw him into an empty cistern or well. And they're trying to decide, do we let him just die of natural causes in the well? Or do we kill him ourselves? Because we're done with our brother. And then the story takes a strange twist. And we'll pick up the story here in Genesis 37, verse 26. Judah said to his brothers, okay, Judah was the leader, wasn't the oldest brother, but he was the leader. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill Joseph and cover up his blood? In other words, let's profit on this. Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelite slave traders and not lay our hands on him. And it's like there's just a little thread of mercy that sneaks into the story. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. So they sell Joseph to slave traders and then they lie to their father, Jacob. They say Joseph was killed by a wild animal and they actually break their father's heart. Well, the story continues. Genesis 39. Now, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites. Those are the slave traders who had taken him there. Now, we need to pause here because this is where Joseph's story may intersect with your story. Nobody is looking for Joseph. Nobody's looking for him. And worse, nobody is looking out for him. Perhaps that's how you feel right now. Like nobody's looking for you and nobody's looking out for you. Or so it would seem. And this is where Joseph's story takes a hard right turn. Here's the surprise. The Lord was with Joseph. Again, we need to pause because this creates a problem for some versions of faith, for some versions of Christianity. In fact, this may be the reason you left the faith. This may be the reason you left your Christian faith specifically because of suffering in the world. And maybe not just suffering in the world, maybe suffering in your family or maybe suffering in your own life. And you just could not reconcile that. I get it. You could not reconcile the idea of a good loving God with pain and suffering in the world or maybe pain and suffering in your world. Because the way that we think is typically this, that if the Lord was with Joseph, 
Joseph would not have been sold into slavery, right? If the Lord was with Joseph, his brothers wouldn't have thrown him in a pit. If the Lord was actually with Joseph, the Lord would have protected him from his brothers and from the slave traders, right? That's how we think. Because after all, this is the assumption. When God is with you, things work out for you. That's our false assumption. When God is with you, things are going to work out. Now, if you were raised with that kind of view of God, if you were raised in the faith tradition that supported this idea, here's what you need to know. Christians have never, ever believed that. If you left the faith because you could not reconcile a good God with evil in the world, perhaps you abandoned the faith unnecessarily. Or I could say it this way, if you quit believing in a good God who never allowed bad things to happen to good people, congratulations. I mean, you quit believing in a God that does not exist. That is not the God of the Christian scriptures. It's certainly not the God of the New Testament. I mean, over and over again, we find men and women who faced extraordinary adversity and discovered that God was with them in it and God was with them through it. So back to the story. The Lord is with Joseph, but luck is not with Joseph. Prosperity is not with Joseph. Justice is not with Joseph. And fairness is certainly not with Joseph. But Joseph was like you, like me. He had a superpower. He had the ability to respond rather than react. And Joseph chose to respond as if God was in fact with him. The story continues. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. Don't read too much into that because he didn't prosper personally. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Okay, Potiphar noticed that everything Joseph touched worked out. Everything Joseph touched kind of turned to gold. And the reason everything Joseph touched worked out is because he did everything he could. He was responsible. He responded, not as somebody who'd been sold into slavery, woe is me. He responded as if perhaps God was in fact with them. And we read that Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. So essentially, Joseph becomes Potiphar's administrative assistant. And he's put in charge, as we're going to see in a minute, of just about everything. And this sounds good, doesn't it? But, but here's what you need to understand. In, in ancient times, in modern times as well, but in ancient times, if you were born free, that was the greatest privilege you could have in the ancient world. Now, to be born rich and to become poor, that would be bad. But to be born free and to wake up one day in a foreign land as a slave with a master, that meant you had lost everything. This was far worse than we can even begin to imagine, in spite of the fact that Joseph found favor in the eyes of his master. Well, the story continues. Because of Joseph's responsible responses, Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. Okay, but here's the gotcha. The Lord blessed, not Joseph. The Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. <laughs> Which we want to say, wait a minute. Where's the justice in this world? Why not bless Joseph? Why bless his master? Why not bless the slave, Joseph, who's responded so well to all these outrageous circumstances? But in spite of that, Joseph continued to respond as if God was with him. In fact, Joseph models for us something extraordinary. 
Joseph responded as if God was with him when it looked as if God had in fact abandoned him. And, and here's why this is really amazing. Unlike us, Joseph has no scripture. He's got no Bible. In fact, Joseph has no religious literature. I mean, there are no miracles, there are no voices, no angels appear at his bedside to say, hang in there, Joseph. God is with you. You're gonna get through this. Joseph had none of the advantages that we have when it comes to enduring faith. Joseph just decided that he was gonna live in light of the stories Jacob, his father, had told him about Isaac, his grandfather, and about Abraham, his great-grandfather. He decided to respond as if God was with him. Which brings me to this. This is the question I hope this message will cause you to wrestle to the ground. This is the life-changing question. How would someone in my circumstances respond if they, like Joseph, were confident that God was with them? How would someone in your circumstances respond? I'm not asking you to do anything. I'm not asking you to respond. I'm just asking you to think about this question. How would someone who found themselves in circumstances like your circumstances respond if like Joseph, they were absolutely confident that God was right there with them? And when I say circumstances, it may mean your entire life circumstances, or it may be a particular area that you're going through right now where there's adversity, maybe with your family, finances, your job, a relationship. How would someone who is you respond if they were absolutely confident that God was with them, that God was up to something, that there was more going on than meets the eye? Now, the reason this is such an important question is that your answer to this question is your invitation to exercise your superpower. It's your invitation to respond rather than react. Again, never underestimate the power of a measured, faith-filled response. But you have no idea what hangs in the balance when it comes to your decision to respond rather than react to events, to circumstances, anything you didn't choose in life. Now, if you know this story, you'll remember what happens next. It doesn't get better, it gets worse. And not only does it get worse, it gets ridiculously more complicated. Because next, Joseph finds himself in a no-win situation. That regardless of which way he responds, there's no way out. All right, here's what happened. Verse 6. You ready for this? Now, Joseph was well-built and handsome. Ooh, this is when the soundtrack changes. Joseph was well-built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. Now, Understand, this was not seduction. It was an order. It's not a request. It was a command. Joseph belongs to her. He's her property. And now he's in a no-win situation. If he rejects the request of his master, he'll be punished. If he says yes and Potiphar finds out, he'll be punished. See, all this responding in such a way as to set himself up to be blessed by God clearly was a waste of time. It wasn't working. And now Joseph certainly begins to feel the way we do sometimes. You know, when we've done everything we know to do right and nothing seems to work out right, and we begin to ask those questions, why care? And why even try? I mean, in Joseph's case, there's no potential for a happy ending. I mean, not only will he not be better for it, he knows he'll probably be dead for it. But in spite of that, Joseph deploys his superpower. 
And the text says, but he refused. He refused her. Here's what he told Potiphar's wife. He said in verse eight, with me in charge, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he is entrusted to my care. Then he shifts gears just a little bit. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because, by the way, you are his wife. And then comes this shocking, unexpected, who does that part of his response. You ready for this? He says, how could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Wait, 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 Joseph. Uh, Are we talking about the same God? The God who's responsible for your oh-so-impressive resume? Uh, Let's just review your resume real quick. Joseph, Jacob's son, kidnapped once, sold twice. This is the God you're going to remain faithful to? The God who hasn't done anything good for you lately? That God? And Potiphar's wife is relentless. She comes back to him time after time. Finally, not only does he resist, he refuses to even be in the room with her. So eventually she's offended. Eventually she is shamed. And so she accuses Joseph of doing the very thing he refused to do. She accuses him of trying to rape her. And when Potiphar finds out, he has no choice but to throw Joseph in prison. Here's what the text says. Joseph's master, Potiphar, took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. Hmm. Now think about this. Maybe you're facing some really tough circumstances, but let me just put Joseph's circumstances in context for a minute. Now, Joseph will pay for the crime he avoided because he avoided it. Think about that. He's going to pay for the very crime he avoided. And why is he paying for it? Because he did the right thing. And now he has to update his resume. And it looks like this. Joseph, Jacob's son, kidnapped once, sold twice, framed, imprisoned. Now the point being, bad things have been happening to good people for a long, long time. Even people that God is with. Now, we're going to pick up the storyline right there next time. So please don't miss next week. But in the meantime, here's what I want you to do. I want all of us to do this. I want us to wrestle with this question that on the surface is a tough question, but ultimately it's a liberating question. It's the question I've already asked. How would someone in my circumstances respond if they were confident that God was right there with them? I know other people and how they react to circumstances. I know what's modeled for me. I know what's expected of me even. But how would someone like Joseph, how would someone in my circumstances respond if they were sure that God was with them, that God was up to something bigger and that it hinges on my decision not to react, but to respond as if God is with me? Again, your answer to this question is your invitation to exercise your superpower in that area of life, to exercise your respond ability. And I'm confident of this, even though I don't know your story, that your willingness to respond rather than react is your best play. It's your best way forward. It's the way that lays the groundwork for God to do something extraordinary in your life. And if you'll act on this question, you'll emerge better for it rather than bitter for it. Again, no matter what you're going through, never underestimate the power of a faith-filled response. I mean, you know this, we're no better 
than our responses in life. But Joseph's story illustrates the fact that we can be better because of our responses. So when it comes to the current circumstances that we're all facing, when it comes to your own individual circumstances, let's not simply get through this. Let's be better for it. Let's make the best response possible so that we can live the best life possible. Your present circumstances are just a chapter in your story. They're not the entire story. So think about this. Chew on this. How would someone in your circumstances respond if, like Joseph, they were confident that God was with them? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that we would wrestle with this question. Because the truth is, as believers in Jesus Christ, you were always with us. You have promised that you will never leave us or forsake us. And even in the toughest of times, you are at work. You are at work right now in the midst of the trials and the stress and the hardships of our life. And this is just a chapter. So God, I pray that we would not react as the world reacts. We would not react as our flesh would just tell us to react. That we would respond with a measured, faith-filled response, one that honors you. Because if we do that, one decision, one challenge, one response at a time, eventually the story of our lives will weave together for something amazing, something truly good. So God, this week as we begin to wrestle with this question, as we pick it up next week, we ask that your Holy Spirit would speak to each and every one of us and change our hearts and ultimately change our lives. That we would be people who don't simply react to circumstances and let the circumstances around us control us, but we would respond in a faith-filled manner. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.